Shabbat Shalom, everybody. Welcome, welcome. So another exciting week. I have my guest Jeremy up here today again. So this is our third successive week of teaching. And um, today we're going to be looking at the resurrection, the resurrection of the dead and the millennium. So I'm excited about this. Let's get right into the scriptures because many people have a lot of questions about the millennium. Because for most of us that have come out of traditional Christian dogma, you would, f- you would have the eschatology, the end times theology that is prevalent, especially in um, America, in the, the predominant um, Christian churches, is that um, you have this millennial period with Christ reigning and ruling in bodily form. There's the resurrection of uh, the saints before the millennium. You go into the millennium, and then there's uh, another resurrection after the millennium. And this is often taught. And um, I always had had uh, trouble trying to make sense of of this timeline. So I hope today that we can bring some clarity to the resurrection and the millennium. So it says in the book of Iov, Job chapter 19, verse 25, For I know that my Redeemer liveth, and he shall stand at the latter day upon the earth. At the latter day he shall stand upon the earth, and though after my skin worms destroy this body, Yet in my flesh shall I see a lower. So this really brings us into this focus of what does it look like in the eschatology of the believer through scripture, not through dogma, not through doctrine, but literally let's go by verse by verse and see what we have. So Jeremy's going to take us through and um, lead us into the resurrection and the millennium. Well, I think this this verse is pretty interesting because I think we often hear people talk about, um, well, flesh and blood doesn't inherit the kingdom of God and things like that, and and to say that we're, that's why we're an ethereal spirit body that can walk through walls like Yeshua did, and um, I think this verse helps to maybe clarify a little bit that, you know, Yeshua ate and his disciples touched him and and. He was very much a physical being, and though he he wasn't flesh and blood, meaning of this earth, of this world, uh, olam hazeh, that he was of that next type of body, that that one that's spiritual versus the natural. You know, so we don't really know what that is yet because we're not in the new earth; we haven't experienced that yet. But you know, here he says. In my flesh, I shall see a lower. Though this flesh will be destroyed, in my flesh I see a lower. Speaking of that, we're going to have a resurrected body. It's going to be a physical body, but it's going to be a different kind of flesh. And it's not, it's not that, uh, as we've discussed last week, that we go to heaven. And that's not the end game. That's not the goal. The goal is actually the new heaven, new earth scenario where we actually, we're basically, if you want to say heaven and earth collide and, and we exist with Yahweh and in a, in a bodily form on a, on, a, on a planet, on an earth like this. And yeah, there's, there's no death in that, in that world. There's no sickness. There's no homeless, fatherless, etc. So like we talked about before, that's why we share the gospel. That's why we 
uh, feed the poor or feed the hungry and give to the poor because it's a taste of the kingdom to come. And we're not talking about that, that limited thousand-year kingdom. That's not the end game either. We're talking about the eighth day, the, the eternal kingdom that lasts forever. So we want to keep our focus there and not limited as we tend to do in these Messianic and Hebrew Roots groups to focus on the land of Israel and the millennium or the millennial kingdom. That to go past time. that, to go past yeah. that. What is this life really about? It's not about now. It's not about the millennial kingdom, but it is about time after time after time because that will be forever. Isaiah 26 verse 19 Your dead shall live, their bodies shall rise. You who dwell in the dust, awake and sing for joy. For your Jew is a Jew of light and the earth will give birth to the dead. There's no shortage of verses in the Tanakh that talk about the resurrection, which just kind of blows me away that there was even a sect in Judaism that didn't believe in the resurrection. There was a sect that didn't believe in the resurrection. Daniel 12 says, uh, and many or the multitude of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake. There's that word sleep again that we talked about last week. Some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And to not get confused and think that somehow contempt means everlasting burning torment. Um, It just, it means dishonored or disgraced. And disgrace even in English just means apart from grace or gift, right? Grace is a gift. And that specific gift that we're really always talking about when we're talking about grace is the gift of everlasting life. That's, and Yeshua is the mode in which we receive that. In John chapter 5, verse 28, it says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all, that is all, that are in the grave shall hear his voice. Everybody, that's everybody in the grave is going to hear the voice of Yahweh and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So this idea that there's this resurrection of the holy believers before the millennium, I mean, right here it's very clear that there's a resurrection of both the wicked and the righteous when? When they hear the voice of Yahweh at that hour. Yeah, this is... The resurrection, and I know we're going to have objections to this because Revelation has, and we even had a question today with regards to Revelation, has all sorts of, you know, really wild stuff to to explain. And so, you know, we try to do our best to explain those. But I think the question that we had a question today today was somebody had a question about, well, what about in Revelation where it says there's the souls that are under the altar that are crying out? They that sounds pretty conscious to me. And the answer to that was go back four chapters and read the whole context that this is a vision. Yeah, I mean, if you go back all the way to, if I can get my computer to work here, (laughs) Uh, I think it's Revelation, yeah, Revelation 4.2 is where he begins this journey of seeing all this stuff and witnessing all this stuff in the heavenlies. And he says, and immediately I was in the spirit. That's kind of a metaphor for I'm having a, I'm having a vision. It's not to say that he was, you know, um, tr- yeah, tr- like he was, tr- what do they call that when they're um, 
astral projection. It wasn't mm-hmm. like he was astral projecting uh, into the heavenlies. Um, and Paul had that same kind of experience where he says, I, you know, I don't know whether I was in the spirit or whatever. But, and, you know, Peter had a vision. It was the same type of thing. He fell into a trance and then he saw a sheet come down. And it wasn't supposed to be taken literally, right? There was a message there. Right. And, and it wasn't even supposed to actually kill and eat what was on the sheet. So anyway, uh, to get into That was into a revelation, this. wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, anyway, it just says here he was in the spirit, and behold, a throne was set in heaven, and and one sat on the throne. So, just to to you know, I guess hopefully an- answer yeah. that it may not the, be adequate. Many but. many of the descriptors, many of these things that we're seeing in the book of Revelation are visionary. They are visionary. So then to try and make it a literal, um, it really doesn't work when you're taking the whole context of what's going on there. Yeah, if you so. just go from four and read on to nine, where the question appears on our Facebook page. Um, you know, there's all sorts of things in there that are crazy. If you take literally, which we obviously don't, uh, I don't know that anybody expects a, a literal beast to rise out of the earth or, or the ocean. You know, that's, I mean, maybe, maybe some people do. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe the Titans some, come some back. Do, or something. Yeah. Yeah. So, <clears throat> but it's, it's very metaphorical and I, and I hesitate to camp uh, dogmatically on a doctrine based on one verse that's taking place in a vision or or something that has lots of other metaphorical pieces. And, and that's something that I've really um, appreciate with our conversation that we've been having over. It's been several years with um, Brother Jeremy here. Is is the the big picture is not to get caught up and and make a doctrine out of a verse. And which many people do, they find this one verse and then, I mean, that, that, that's putting all of your eggs in one basket. Really, it's much better to take the whole volume of scripture, weigh and balance it, and then build your understanding upon the whole counsel of Elohim, rather than getting locked in dogmatically based upon a verse. And we're going to address one of those key verses today that our whole doctrine is built off on this one verse. And we'll get to that. But before, let's, um, let's have a look at Hoshea chapter 13. It says, I will ransom them from the power of the grave, not hell or anywhere, heaven or anywhere else, but I will redeem them from death. And so this is Hebrew parallelism at work here. The grave is synonymous with death. Oh, death... Not speaking to a person, but O death, I will be your plagues. O grave, again, not literal, I will be thy destruction. Repentance shall be hid from mine eyes. Notice this is similar to Revelation 20 when we get into death and hell or the grave get thrown into the lake of fire. And this is back in um, Hosea. So I think we have uh, a slide that kind of helps illustrate a little bit about where we resurrected from. And we did right. talk about this when we talked about life and death. And I think also in heaven and hell. So last week. So, But Zechariah, the name is Zechariah, means Yahweh remembers you or remembers. Yahweh remembers specifically. And so he knows your character. He knows the treasures you laid up in heaven, the things that you've changed about uh, who you are to, to to write the, the law of Yahweh on your heart. And he remembers that. And that's when he takes the dust, I'm, and I'm assuming here this is the dust of the new earth and mixes it with his spirit, that you become again a living soul. That's how it works. But your flesh, is that's, that's the key difference there. 
You have flesh, but it's a different kind of flesh. It's not from the dust of this corrupted earth. He is now taking the dust from the new heavens and the new earth. Therefore, you're going to have a new flesh. Just as Yeshua, he did come in the flesh, but his flesh wasn't from the corrupted earth. My, my belief is that his flesh was from the heavens, the bread from heaven. Again, it says anyone who denies that Yeshua came in the flesh is the, is the spirit of anti-Mashiach. Yes, he came in the flesh, but what was the origin of his flesh? You see, we have the hope that our flesh isn't going to be of the origin that it is now. It's going to be transformed, powerful, because it's coming from the new heaven and the new earth. And we don't want to get into Gnosticism where they believe that everything of this earth is um, wicked and that the spirit realm the, you know, and everything spirit is good. Um, you know, we don't want to get, we don't want to get, we were, we're telling you that there's something unique about how we're created, that we are a soul. We're not spirit beings trapped in a flesh body. We're something unique from that. And, and yet, at the resurrection, Yahweh knows who you are specifically, so it doesn't matter that it's his spirit that animates this dust of the earth, and that 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 basically means that you were, you were nothing of the two ingredients to begin with. It, it's all within his power that the resurrection has uh, everything in and in, in you. So this uh, next slide, I think, uh, helps kind of illustrate the way that I think that this works for the righteous and the wicked. Now hopefully, th- is this up on the screen? Yeah. yeah. Okay, good. I want you to be able to see this. Yeah, so the, the, top, the top shows the life of somebody who has come to repentance, come to Yeshua. Um, they die like everyone else, and they are resurrected in the new flesh. You see, he has a new clean garment versus the, the one that he is uh, born with and then stains up, right? Like, so you, you go through life and you sin and, and you do things that, that affect you and mar your name, your character. And without the blood of Yeshua to wash that clean or the fuller's soap or the refiner's fire, you don't, you don't get that new garment. So I think that... So the um, key is at the resurrection, you've got to look and go, what garment are you wearing? Right. Because if you're wearing your own garments, then there's going to be one outcome. Yet if we've exchanged garments in this life for his garment, then that gives us another outcome. And that's the whole key, and that's the whole Brit Milah Halev, circumcision of the heart, or what we call today born-again experience, is exchanging garments and then living a life fitting for wearing those royal kingly garments. What are you doing because you're wearing his garments? What, is your, what are you doing with that body? What are you doing with that life? And this is a picture of his righteousness covering us versus your own self-righteousness covering you because if you show up because you didn't have the covering that Yeshua gives with his blood that that you actually decide well I don't need that I you know I think I'm a pretty good person and I'm going to show up and what you know hey I helped grandma cross the street once in a while and so on and so forth that you're going to you're going to show up in your resurrected body just as this this is now yeah you don't want that you don't want to be standing before the king who's perfect and be stained and, uh, and if anyone believes that, then I think we'd just refer him to Ray Comfort at that point, wouldn't we? Yeah. Because he does a great job going out on the streets and talking to people about the commandments. And you have you lied? Have you ever cheated? Have you ever... Well, so basically, you're a lying, cheating adulterer then, you know? And he just <laughs> breaks it down simply, and people are like, 
Oh, yeah, okay. Because it really brings clarity that we're all in this fallen state and that we need to exchange garments. And I love the simplicity of that. So the last piece of this picture is that Yahweh is this refining fire. And and I, I might be going out on a limb here, but I, I, I kind of think that maybe this all happens in an instant, that the resurrection, the judgment, and the second death of the lake of fire is all happening at one time. And, and, and maybe even it is Yahweh. Like maybe his perfection, his, his perfect righteous nature is the, the fire that extinguishes Hasatan and his minions and the wicked. As well as well as the same fire and the same light that actually purifies us, the minions. So uh, I'll just throw out a little quote here from Enoch sixty-one two. It says, "The Lord of Spirits, that's Yahweh, sat upon the throne of His glory, and the Spirit of righteousness was poured out over them. The word of His mouth shall destroy all the sinners, and all the ungodly who shall perish at His presence." So it's. That paints a picture, and there's other scriptures in our, in our Bible that actually talk about it the same way, that, he, that his presence is what really destroys the wicked. So there's this resurrection then, the resurrection of the righteous, the resurrection of the unrighteous at the same time. Right before Yahweh at that point, looking, what are you clothed in? Are you clothed in his garments or are you clothed in your garments? Then there's the presence of Yahweh, his Shekinah, his glory, which is fire. Then you're going to go through the fire. If you're clothed in Yeshua's garments, then that is going to be a refining process. And you end up with the treasures that your life you have done in works but the works aren't what save you. It's firstly and foremost because what garment you're standing in. If you're there standing in your own garments, then depending on how evil and wicked you are, depends how long your tear is. The longer your tear is, the longer you're going to burn. And you're going to burn and you're going to burn. But ultimately you're going to turn to ashes. And it says in the scriptures that the uh, the... Wicked, excuse me, will turn to ashes and then the righteous will walk over the ashes. So this is an amazing picture and we've got that right there. So yeah, yeah. It's Malachi 4.1. Malachi 4.1. For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven and all the proud, yea, all they that do wickedly shall be stubble. They're going to be tears, they're going to be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith Yahweh of hosts, that in shall leave them neither root nor branch. And the third verse, and ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith Yahweh of hosts. That's a powerful verse. That's a powerful word, verse. Truly. You literally could be standing right there next to Leon Trotsky. Seriously. That, that bloke is going to burn for a long time. And then you get to walk over his ashes. Amazing. There's going to be a whole line of Bolsheviks to your right. There's going to be... A, <laughs> oh boy. My goodness. So and now it comes, it comes down to the, the famous verse in Revelation 20, verse 5, 
where it says, wait a minute, wait a minute. Oh, this is the verse. Yes. This is the verse that we can make a whole doctrine over. Yes. So it says, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. And then goes on to talk about there being a thousand years. They rule and reign with him a thousand years. And then... So explain to them the whole doctrine. I mean, I'm sure people are familiar, but there may be some that aren't familiar with the doctrine that's built upon that verse. Well, yeah. So basically with this verse, people believe that there's a a resurrection of the righteous at the beginning of the millennium. So a lot of people are thinking right around the corner, either Yeshua is going to return and we're going to be changed or or the dead dead that are righteous are going to be resurrected. I think that's pretty common in in Christian circles. And that um, whether it's a rapture or whatever, we we all disagree on different views. I mean, that was definitely a Calvary Chapel um, doctrine for sure. And then there's this thousand-year reign where Yeshua is here on earth, or some people believe that we're all whisked away to heaven and he's up there, and people have a whole different um, existence down here. Uh, and then there's um, basically, if, if you subscribe to that late, uh, latter view, then, then Yeshua actually comes a third time to the earth. This was a, actually a third coming. Um, but then there's actually the other view, which just says, you know, he's here on earth. There's people that are uh, in their resurrected bodies, their glorified bodies. Then there are those that are, that are survivors of the great tribulation. So, like, we're talking, like, billions of people die and there's only a handful left, and those people are making it into the millennium. And then, so you, I mean, I don't know who's going to believe, or not believe, I should say, with Yeshua sitting on a throne, with people that have glorified bodies that can pop in and out of rooms and and do all sorts of healing and wild, crazy stuff. Who's not going to believe in that kind of a, a millennial kingdom? I mean, you... You have everything you need right in front of you. It's almost like totally unfair because we, we have to believe just with faith and no eyes, right? Like we can't see these things happening. But these people, these wicked people that make it into the millennium somehow because they went and hid in a cave or whatever, they end up getting to to see Yeshua and make a choice at that point. Yeah. I mean, it just doesn't make sense to me, but there's more to the story, <laughs> as there always is. Um Revelation verse 20, or sorry, chapter 20, verse 5, um, is missing in the Aramaic version. Doesn't, it doesn't actually say the clause, the whole verse isn't missing, but the clause that says, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. It doesn't say that. So that that's... Important. It's been monked with. It's been monked with. It's been monkey with. And, the and funky monks are at it again. Somebody may have just added this doctrinal position for clarity. They may have um, added it. They may have removed it from the Aramaic. So maybe it's supposed to be in there. But it's one way or another, the te- this, is the, this is like the one verse, the one Either area. it was in there and it was removed or they added it later. But one way or another... It's very suspicious. So to build a whole doctrine upon a obviously suspicious text would not be a good theory. I think we actually have a picture of the Aramaic where the, the verse... Question. Isn't the Aramaic an older text than the manuscripts we have in Greek? The, there is an argument that says that the Peshitta, the Aramaic text, um, is older. That's an argument, and that, it ha- that there's a... 
Aramaic primacy versus Greek primacy. Um, and I've read the arguments on both That's sides. That's a whole it's, subject in itself, yeah, it's, isn't it? It's, it could go either way. There's you know, Greek things in the Aramaic and Aramaic-type Hebrew idioms in the Greek, so who knows? <laughs> but the picture uh, of the Aramaic text here shows us that um, that actually verse 4 is found in verse 3. It's, it's joined with verse 3 in the Aramaic. And that verse five is shortened to just this is the first uh, this is the first re- resurrection, and if we go into um, the Greek version of this text, it, it's the word uh, protos. Oh, sorry, yes. protos. Protos. Yeah. Protos. Sorry, and it's um, it actually means foremost, uh, order of importance, a beginning. Uh, best, chiefest, first of all, former. So it has all these different meanings. And in Greek, it doesn't necessarily mean the first, as in there, there's another one coming second, third, and fourth. Right. And, and really, this actually, this actually speaks to, to the position that we're holding here. And I think we find this Greek word when we're talking about the resurrection of Yeshua mm-hmm. on the first day of the week, mm-hmm. one of the days, that type of thing. So right. again, got to look at this Greek word protos. So there's, plenty of, there's been plenty of rec- resurrections before this time, but this is the chiefest, this is the best resurrection. We know this from Hebrews, like the best, um, how, does, how does it put it in Hebrews with regard to the priesthood? You know, it's the chiefest, the best, mm-hmm. the better covenant. So this is the same type of thing. This is the best, the chiefest resurrection. So the minor resurrections that we saw in Scripture were Elijah. Uh, he resurrects uh, the son of Zephareth, um, uh, Zephareth's widow, widow in First Kings. Uh, Elisha, the Shunammite woman, the son of the Shunammite woman, he, he resurrects. Elisha's bones, mm-hmm. um, resurrected dead man. Yeshua, you know, we can go through all of these, but... Basically, a lot of resurrections have happened, and they're not the, the resurrection. resurrection. It's not the chiefest resurrection that gives us that new glorified body. It's just they were brought back to life, and they lived on their life as, as a normal human being in their original sinful flesh, with their sinful nature intact, and then they died, and that's the end of the story. So this is, this is, this is huge. I mean, this changes the... This changed it for me when I really investigated this parable, the parable of the tares of the field in Matthew 13, uh, 13, 24. Uh, um, do you want to read, read this? Or? Yeah, another parable put he forth unto them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is likened unto a man which sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat. And he went his way, but when the blade was sprung up and brought forth fruit, then appeared the tares also. So the servants of the householder came and said unto him, Sir, didst thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence then hath it tares? He said unto them, An enemy hath done this. The servants said unto him, Do you want us to go and gather them up? But he said, Nay, lest while ye gather up the tares, ye root also up the wheat with them. Let them both grow together until the harvest. In the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, Gather ye together first the tares, bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. There you have that one resurrection, that one gathering, and you see the ultimate result is being burnt, ashes, or going into the house of Yahweh. 
I don't know about everybody else, but I'm going to buy Matthew a King James Bible because I just love to hear him read it. (laughs) (laughs) That was great. That is the King Jimmy right there, isn't it? It it. is the restored name, King Jimmy. Beautiful. Oh, really? Yeah, Yeah, true name. Nice. Uh, So I don't know if anybody needed the explanation of the tares of the field, but the tares grow together with the wheat until the harvest, right? Can anybody guess what the harvest is? Obviously, that's the resurrection. So doesn't that contradict what we just read in Revelation 20 if we're to interpret it that way or that it's supposed to be written that way? Yes. It's totally different. Uh, The tares are gathered first, actually, which is completely contrary to the view that the righteous are in the first resurrection and resurrected first, and then there's a thousand years, and then the wicked are resurrected. It actually says the tares are gathered first, and then the tares are burned, and the wheat is taken into the barn. And that's pretty, that's, for me, that's Yeshua's own words telling us, you know, this, the the timeline. So Yeshua is the householder. Uh, the field is the world. He explains all this in the verses following. The good seed is the children of the kingdom. The tares are the children of the wicked one. The enemy is Hasatan. The harvest is the end of the world. That should also be a mm-hmm. big game changer for people. When is the resurrection? Is it before the millennium? Or is it at the end of the world? It's at the end of the world. That's what Yeshua said. You know, he said it in parables, so we, we're interpreting it here, but we're also taking his interpretation, which is a few verses later, and the, the reapers are the angels. So what am I saying? Yeah, what are you saying? What are you talking about? <laughs> I'm saying there's not two resurrections separated by a thousand years. I'm saying there's a spiritual resurrection of the house of Joseph, or revival, if you will. That there's one resurrection for the just and the unjust at the end of the world. I think that's to be fair. Um, and we are not in our spiritual, spiritual heavenly glorified bodies during the thousand-year kingdom, those of us that enter into it. And that's a big thing. It's that third, the third note there. So we are not in our spiritual heavenly bodies during the 1,000-year 1, 1, millennial kingdom. So is there any other place where I can find this besides the parable of the tares or Revelation? Yeah, I think so. I think that Ezekiel 37 gives us a picture of this, this view of a revival or a um, spiritual resurrection of the house of Joseph. It says in Ezekiel 37, dry bones come together and come to life. These bones are the whole house of Israel. His spirit is in them. They're brought into the land of Israel. The two sticks, the two houses become one. David, quote-unquote, will be their king. He's prince over them. The tabernacle is also with them. So we read this, and it's it's kind of a story of a resurrection, but it's a very metaphorical one. And it tells us that, that these bones actually represent the whole house of Israel. So... The way that I look at Revelation, the way I look at prophecy in general with Ezekiel and Isaiah is, um, I don't know, probably a bit different than most people. And this was just something that occurred to me as I was reading these things over the years. Um, There's a three-part, at least, a three-part revelation to these things. Obviously, here Ezekiel is talking about the return from exile, from Babylon. So he's got an audience that he's speaking to. We can't ignore that context. Um, but then there's also another layer of revelation there, and that, that's that return from the greater exile, right? This one that we're talking about that we're in. Presently. 
that the, that the, the 12 tribes come together into the land, right? So that's a, it's a return uh, from the greater exile or the nations, which is what, you know, a lot of Messianics and Hebrews folks are into. They're all about, you know, the greater exodus and coming out of the nations and returning to the land. Great, but that's not the end of it. There's another layer. There's a bigger picture, and that is the return from the most great exile, and that's death. That's getting into the new heaven, new earth realm, right? So it's really, this is, the end game is not the greater So exodus. we don't want to, be, want to be limited in our vision. And that, I think that's the thing, is, is um, coming out of that mainstream Christian dogma, you, you, you get so much revelation realizing you've got the Shabbat, the Feast of the Lord, and, and so much more to it. But then the, the predominant theme is this coming into the millennial, going over to the land of Israel. And then people can get really wrapped up into that, into, into Christian Zionism on steroids, which is like Messianic Zionism, and really get sidetracked from the greater, greatest of them all is that ultimately we are looking at defeating death and going into the time after time after time and that's really the goal don't stop short of that but enter into his fullness and that's the power of the resurrected life i truly pull out all that eschatology stuff that's really where the christian church lies their hope in the resurrection and they just you know forget all the the details of the doctrines they believe in the resurrection and that's where their hope is and we've kind of forgotten that uh, coming into Torah and all of that. And so, you know, it's important to remember, you know, even those those roots. But to give another name to that three-part pattern, there's that immediate context, there's the global 7,000-year plan, and then there's the eternal truth. So when you're reading all of these different prophecies, um, take a look at it from those three, at least those three layers or, or patterns you can see this in the fact that there's David on the throne, right? And then there's sons of David on the throne, like his descendants. And then there's the son of David, the son of David on the throne, right? The Messiah. We see this in the exodus from mm-hmm, Egypt, mm-hmm. the greater exodus from the nations, and the greatest exodus is from this world into the world to come. So hopefully that establishes that pattern. And so that's how I interpret verses um, regarding any kind of prophecy. So you're seeing that thematic going throughout yeah. the scripture. Look at Hosea chapter 6 verse 2 where it's written, after two days, and a day is as a thousand years, after two days he will revive us. In the third day he will raise us up and then we shall live in his sight. So if we have a picture up on the screen there, we can see that there's some sort of a revival even in Hosea here that says in two days. And, and why, why do I have the freedom to say, you know, hey, we're going to start with, you know, Yeshua on, on the cross. Like, how is that fair? Especially when Hosea probably didn't have a clue about that. Um, it's, it's, called what, it's called an epoch. It's an instant in time that's chosen as the origin of a particular era. Um, so from BCE to CE, we've, we've done that. We've taken a special event that's a, it's a life changer, game changer for the world, and we start counting time at that point. And this has happened throughout time. Some people say actually that's the origin of the switch from Tishri being month one to um, Nisan being month one is that 
Yes, the earth was created in Tishri, but when Moses came out of Egypt with the children of Israel, that's a new a, epoch. It's yeah. a new epoch. It's a new era. And so they start counting time differently. That's just one view. So we have the world that's past. Um, we've got the world that is, which is, I believe, a 7,000-year period. And after that, we have the resurrection, the day of Yahweh, judgment, new heaven, new earth comes right after that, the world to come, Olam Haba. We're at, the, we're at the beginning, we're on the cusp of entering into the millennium period. So we're on, the, we're on the cusp of entering that seventh day. And that really should bring us forefront globally and see the changes that are happening um, and just the danger and the importance of being aware. I mean, what's going on in Syria right now, engaging with, with the Russians in Iran? This literally, I mean, people uh, you know, are talking about this lightly, and some people aren't even aware of it. We are literally this far away from nuclear World War III, which is going to be a game changer, which could usher in a whole new paradigm, and Yahweh is ultimately the one in control, is he not? Not man. I mean, he will use their purposes for his great purpose. But we are really in a, in a time where it can change just like that. Just like that, at a press of a button, or with somebody making some ridiculous policy because of their political, financial, and religious agenda. Because we know we live in a religious, political, and financial world that is being corrupted by the Illuminati globalists. And we're right there. So that's another subject that I may address here shortly. So getting into you know, how we got to where we are today, you know, we, we started with this, um, this global, if you will, uh, world order that was Egypt. And then it went to Babylon when we get to Nebuchadnezzar and he gets this vision. And we see there's the, the gold head of the statue is Babylon and then the silver arms are Medo-Persia and, and the bronze waist is Greece and the iron legs are Rome. And uh, in my opinion, the iron and clay feet is Rome and Islam. I think the Roman Catholic Church invented Islam, but that's a whole other topic. Ooh. And then we get into... The, the kingdom that is not made by hands. It's not hewn by men's hands. See, it's I actually mean, of Yahweh. And so it's the stone that comes from heaven. It's the kingdom of heaven here coming down to earth, no, no mind you, but it also destroys the kingdom of men that they have built up. And that brings us right in to the millennial kingdom, which is all over the place. And, and, and this view is... It's, it's a view of a new world order, believe it or not. <laughs> it's a new world order. We're talking about a big difference in how things are from today. We don't know if there's a nuclear warfare and that you know, maybe 90% of the people are killed off and, and there's just a handful that go in. I don't know the details of that. Um, I don't know if there's a shadow picture tribulation before entering into that and then a real tribulation at the end. That's interesting because when we look at, you know, when we, we see in Scripture Yaakov's trouble, Jacob's trouble, when you go back and look at Jacob's life, how many troubles did he have? He had two troubles. 
He had the trouble when he was with um, when he went down into to, um, his son Joseph went down into Mitzrayim, Egypt. But he also had the the, the trouble when he was with um, Laban. He had two troubles. You see, so realistically, we can have like this minor trouble and a major trouble because ultimately, the major trouble was when. Yaakov, Jacob, was mourning for the loss of his beloved son, Joseph. How appropriate is that for you know, the resurrection, the spiritual resurrection of the house of Joseph here, uh, right before the entering in of the millennium? I mean, it just, it just all fits together so perfectly. And really what we're doing here is we're trying to, we're, we're trying to take this big picture view of this puzzle with a bunch of pieces, all these verses and places that we can pick out our doctrines, and... I think I've got a. I, I think I've got an idea of what the picture looks like. Although I've got some verses over here that I don't really know where they fit in the puzzle, I can kind of see yet yeah, this is turning out to look like something, and that's what we're trying to paint here today. So there's a big difference between the, the millennium and the new earth, and what things we find in there that we, we kind of mistake one for the other. I mean, people get so caught up in the millennium thinking that's the end game that they replace one scenario with another, like having glorified bodies or whatever. So there's a, there's a big difference. In the millennium, there's still death. There's still sin. Anybody expect Yeshua to come back and there's still to be sin and death? I mean, that doesn't make sense to me. There's a prince, but I thought we had a king Yeshua. Is he going to come back? Yeah, and, and many people will try and say, um, well, the prince is Yeshua. Be like, well, hang on a minute. If the prince is Yeshua, that's got huge ramifications because this prince is actually going and making atonement. Um, and and I, I thought Yeshua was the atonement. So the prince, we've got a major problem if the prince is Yeshua. We've got a and couple Yeshua of isn't the prince. He's the Malak. He's the king, the Melech, excuse yeah. me. Yeah. So it's this world. We have the world to come. Um, so the millennium is still this world where we still have fossil fuels and we still mm. need power and food and things like that. We have this body, and, I, and that's, that's a matter of contention for those that believe that we have the glorified body, but one big difference in the millennium is the devil is bound for that thousand years. Can you imagine this world with the devil just taken out of the way? I mean, that's going to be a game changer, right? So, and, the, and that along with the, the other big detail is that there's a greater Israel with the 12 tribes of Israel together in the greater bordered land, which is huge. They have the wealth of the world. That's the new world order right there. This is actually where some on the other side are saying, oh, that's why we're, we're anti-Israel or whatever. And, I, and I'm not a fan of Zionist Israel, but... Uh, this is different than that. Yeah, there's biblical Zion, and then there's yeah. you know Theodore Herzl's perversion. <laughs> yeah, so this is this is different. We're going to have all of the tribes together, right? The they're all going to be believers in Yeshua. They're going to be, as Ezekiel seven says, filled with the Spirit. I don't know about you, but I'm not regularly filled with the Spirit, where I'm overflowing and I can go and and I can heal the sick and raise the dead and I can you know make mountains move. I'm not there yet, but we're going to be there where we're not in glorified, resurrected bodies, but things are different. You know, we, we live longer because we've got miracles that we can actually achieve because we're filled with that spirit and so on. So big, big difference. So the devil is bound in, 
for that, that thousand years, and it says that in Revelation 20, verse 2. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. So he's, he's gone for that millennium. So I have a picture of greater Israel from my perspective. I know there's other drawings out there. I believe it goes all the way down to Ethiopia from the Nile, going all the way down the Nile, all the way over through Saudi Arabia. So all that oil is going to be ours. <laughs> Those Iraqi dinars that people have been buying, they're finally going to come yeah. to fruition. <laughs> I'm wondering whether that's going to be the wallpaper for my next bathroom. <laughs> but... Um, so we've got 12 tribes gathered. We've got the increased borders. We've got the wealth of this world, um, which is currently based in fossil fuels. And uh, Torah government, temple service, restored calendar. Can you imagine actually being able to do it the right way and not be guessing on these festivals? And uh, relative peace with our neighbors. It's actually a legislated peace. It's not one that's because all evil has been wiped away from the earth. Right? We still see that there is sin in this millennial kingdom. In Isaiah 65, verse 23, They shall not labor in vain, nor bring forth for trouble, for they are the seed of the blessed of Yahweh, and their offspring with them. People are born in the millennium. People are born. People die. People die. They're still clean and unclean. Ezekiel 44:23 and they shall teach my people the difference between the kadosh holy and the profane and cause them to discern between the unclean and the clean here sin still exists in Zechariah 14:18 it says and if the family of Egypt go not up and come not uh, that have no uh, that have no rain there shall be the plague wherewith Yahweh will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. So people are going to be out there saying, no thanks. Yeah. I mean, you've got Yeshua King on the throne in Jerusalem, and you're saying, yeah, no thanks. You saw him coming as like lightning in the heavens and yeah. from the east to the west, and you aren't going to come to the Feast of Tabernacles. So this makes a lot more sense, that this is a natural world where we're there in our natural flesh, and literally not this mysterious, um, spiritualized kingdom that you end up with with mainstream Christian dogma. So it, it's, it, it really plays into the responsibility that we have as the human race to be a part and to be engaged in this world that we live in. Not disengaged because we think we're going to go on the rapture train. No, we're to be engaged with what's going on geopolitically, spiritually, and religious. We can't just like disengage from it all because we think we're going to escape out of here. That's insanity because that is why I think the world is in the state it is because so many Christians have abdicated their responsibility based upon this false theology that came up, what, how, how long ago was that with Margaret, uh, wasn't it Margaret something or other that came up with the rapture theology and wasn't it in the 18, Margaret MacDonald, wasn't it 18 something? I mean, it's a pretty recent doctrine, you know, so anyway. They're keeping Shabbat, Isaiah 66, verse 23. Uh, keeping Sukkot in Zechariah 14, 16. And again, there's these plagues. There's sin in Zechariah 14. There's plagues? Yeah. I mean, really? 
What about no no more tears and no more right. sorrows and you know we know that obviously that comes with Yeshua and that comes at the end of this world when death is thrown into the lake of fire and this world it says when Yeshua comes this world will be roll up and be destroyed this earth will be there's going to be long life in Isaiah 65 verse 20 for the youth shall be as a hundred years old. So yes, there's going to be some dynamic changes because we'll be living in a more efficient, effective, and shalom, harmonious life. But it's still not living to the days like they were back in the days of Noah because we're not going to have this renewed canopy. But, um, but it will be a fulfillment of Deuteronomy 440 where it says they'll prolong your days in the earth. So they will be living longer and not be uh, maybe getting sick. I mean, even just thinking about it from a... From a practical standpoint, we're on the cusp of big technological changes. Big. Just huge. Medically, uh, you know, with regard to technology and power, um, we have the human genome mapped now. I mean, we just need a couple more things to happen before we can have computers figuring out what's the cause of cancer. Yeah. And figuring and solving it and saying, okay, all you need is this little formula and boom, here you go. I mean, I really believe if people wake up to the evils of the Illuminati and the conspiracy reality of those that are in charge of this world and wake up to their evil plan and get rid of them, and then we actually use the technology, we use everything that we have for righteousness and for good and for the, 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 the benefit of humanity, I believe that we'll cross that threshold into a whole new realm of this millennium realm if we take responsibility and we string the culprits up by the lamppost that they should be strung up by. Because the world wakes up, wakes up and says, hang on a minute. These politicians, these kings of the earth, they are looking to run into bunkers so that they can destroy the whole of mankind and then they can come out afterwards after the layman, the average person has been destroyed. The Georgia Guidestones case in point. But no, when we awake to this fact and remove these people that are in power and say, no, we're not going to go into more wars. We're not going to allow them to manipulate this fiat currency. We're actually going to get into a world where you and I can be a part of it, not just the slaves in this pyramidal system. I mean, it's, I believe that we truly are on, on the cusp of an awakening if people would fight for righteousness against the wickedness. Um, so there. <clears throat> Amen. So I thought I, I should address a little bit more the, the uh, objection to Yeshua being here for the millennium. Um, and we'll probably get more questions because I'm not going to get into all the details of, of this, but uh, we just don't have time. But uh, it one of the, the verses they use is Ezekiel 37, 25, where it says, And my servant David shall be their prince forever. And I wanted to re- remind people that, it, remember, he's our king. He's not going to, he's already our king. He's not going to just take a demotion here. Um, and in Revelation 17, 14, as where we see he's already our, our king of kings, master of masters, lord of lords. Um, and then here in Isaiah 9, 6, this is kind of the, I think, the place where we get, oh, yes, he is, a, he is, a, he is our prince. He's the prince of peace, right? In Isaiah 9, 6, it's, it says he's a prince of peace. He's the, uh, the mighty El, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. Our Sar Shalom. 
Right? That's the word sar for prince. But in Ezekiel and every other place, it's, it's a different word. So we see sar means a head person, a governor, lord, master, prince, ruler, steward. But we see the word that's in Ezekiel is nasi, and it comes from nasa, actually like nasa, to lift up. And that's where they probably borrowed it from. Mm. Um, and it also means captain, chief, cloud, governor, prince, ruler, etc. But there's a there's a there's a difference there. I think that with regard to Sar, who's the son of a king, there's Nasi, which is lifted up as as if by people, like a president or or a governor or so. The reason why it it's translated as such is because there's no such thing as a president or a prime minister in the 1611 King James, nor would there even be in Hebrew. But they have a different concept. There's a word for prince, the son of a king, and there's a word for this other type of ruler that's not the same thing. So that's, that's important. Um, and in fact, um, I think I had a little bit more about... Oh, we get into that later. But Yeshua ends up having sons if, if we translate it mm. the other way or if we assume the other reality. In Ezekiel 46, it says he has sons. If the prince give a gift unto any of his sons, the inheritance thereof shall be his sons. It shall be their possession by inheritance. Did, did you think that Yeshua was going to be having a wife and kids in the millennium? I mean, I certainly didn't think that. But if we carry this through... And that's, you know, we're not going to be camping on one verse. We need to look at the big picture. What is the big picture painted of the millennium, at least from Ezekiel's standpoint? Yeah. It's a big then, difference. And then on Ezekiel 46, and if Yeshua was that prince, which he's not, but again, the mainstream Christian dogma would say that he was, then again, he's having sons, he's offering burnt offerings, and um, he's preparing these voluntary burnt offerings in Ezekiel 46.12 and Ezekiel 46.4. We've got a major discrepancy with the writer of the book of Hebrews and the, the majority of the New Testament text. It just, it just simply doesn't work. So we have a mistaken identity, and I think uh, part of it is it comes from Zechariah 3.8 where we say, oh, uh, I will bring forth my servant, the branch. And, you know, my King James, it's in all caps. It's all, you know. It's right. I love those all caps, don't you? Telling you who, you know, who, to, you know, who it is with uh, capitalization of letters. Um, but, again, this is different. It's the word samak, a sprout, literally or figuratively branch bud, a thing that which grew upon or spring. Isaiah 11.1, 1, it says, And there shall come forth a rod out of the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. Right. So there we go, okay, yeah, that's, that's Yeshua too. That's the connection right, mm. between the two. But that's the word netzer, mm, in the sense of green, greenness, uh, striking color, a shoot figuratively, a branch, a descendant. Uh, but compare the two. They're totally different roots. right? This, they don't mean anywhere near the same thing. Uh, one, they both are translated as branch, right? But one actually has a root in the word to sprout, and that's tzamak, the one that's used in Zechariah 3.8. And then the netzer is actually the root to guard, right? So to protect, monument, observe, watcher. I mean, that sounds more like Yeshua. So yeah, netzer, that's Yeshua, Nazarene, you know, et cetera, et cetera, right? But that one in Zechariah 3.8, not so much, it's talking more more about a dis, you know just a actual sprout or, or um, descendant. 
So, uh, we got legislated peace. We've got Torah going out to the nations. That's kind of the uh, the end of the the stuff that we have on the millennium, and the rest of it is just kind of my speculation on future future technology. I mean, whether whether everything that we believe the Bible is just a big hoax and we've been taken for a ride and, and none of that happened, we're on the cusp of some big technological changes. So, even if there isn't this spiritual resurrection of the house of Jacob, then we're talking about some crazy stuff that's going to happen anyway. So I thought maybe we'd have some fun and just... Yeah, tell me about that. <laughs> talk about it. <laughs> so right now, I don't know if anybody's paying attention to this technology stuff, but uh, it fascinates me. We're, Tesla, Tesla Motors is coming out with a new battery that, that you can stick in your home. And it actually, you can store and, and it'll maintain a charge for a long time. We've got... Um, but the, again, we have got to get past the political leaders yes. and the, the financial pundits that will try and crush this kind of technology into coming into the house because they want to rape you with your electricity bills every month and they want to get you on all of the taxes and all of the, for the water and for all of these things. So we've got to change the system to be, I mean, realistically, come on, we're all driving around in these motor cars with the same engine that was developed a hundred years ago. You know that they've got better technology than that. Again, we've got to change the paradigm of who these oppressors are at the top so that we can be released all of this technology that is readily available but is not being allowed allowed for humanity to use because they want to keep the people down. And I think we just need to get that awakening, that enlightening of the people to say, no, enough is enough. This is a broken system. It doesn't work and we're not going to be hoodwinked anymore. And uh, again, keep on going. We've got the nuclear cold fusion. We've got got a guy doing this in his garage, nuclear cold fusion. uh, you know, of course, it's they're going to they are going to SWAT team him. You know yeah, it, right? They, they? They're, they're I mean, some... What are you doing on the weekend? Oh, I'm messing around with my nuclear cold fusion. <laughs> yeah, he bought some he bought some spare parts from yeah. some military places. So, you know, extra stuff, and he started putting together this whole. Anyway, he's on YouTube if you want to check him out. But just yeah, to... he's not going to be on YouTube for much longer. I'm going to pull that right down. That's the problem. But yeah, so what we're getting into, and the reason why I even bring up kind of this this crazy stuff, is because I don't mind. Well, good, good, because <laughs> basically, if the spirit is poured out on the house of Jacob, and yeah. and, and there is a new world order, right? Let, let's say we're getting let's past. Let's just say that raised one. Yeah. Let's just say with the new world order being this greater Israel, this restored kingdom. If that's the case, with a, with a prince, with a Yeshua-type, Messianic-type, shadow-picture-type person on the throne, I think of, a, of the lineage of David. I think that's who he is. I think he's of the line. We figure all that out. He's on the throne. He is humbled as, as a believer in Yeshua under Torah that says, you know, I'm the prince. I'm not going to be the king. You know, he's the king. And that this world, this world, this thousand-year flesh and blood kingdom on this planet, real world. this real-world scenario, has to have some big changes, one way or another. Yes. And I think if you have the devil taken out of the way for a thousand years, and all of all of the people he's influencing, yes. some of this stuff that we're seeing that is yes. suppressed will be will made available. Come forth. And then you'll see all those things that seem like a little bit, a uh, little bit out there as far as. Um, Living for a long time, a hundred years plus, 
not so difficult to imagine. And, and I'm trying to say that without that, without Ezekiel 37 spiritual resurrection, that we're actually on the cusp of that anyway. So we're, go- we're on the cusp of going into the millennium. Yeah. But we're also on the cusp of all this huge technological tech, technology changes that are huge. And I mean on, on many, many levels. And so I was just going to try we're to talking, cover that. We're talking getting off the pharmacia, diet, health. Yeah. I mean, the whole, I mean, once they see the fallacy of this Obama, Obamacare and, and that collapses, and then it's like, well, 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 now what do we have to do? When people are going to start to look at the body, full body temple system and the herbs and tinctures and, and cleansing and, and physical longevity can easily be extended, then you marry that with trauma care, that if somebody literally gets their arm cut off in a buzzsaw, then, well, yes, we can fix that through technology, but technology is for trauma, yet body, temple, cleansing, and system is for overall health and longevity. But again, it's that paradigm system and having to get off what we're presently now under this corruptible system. I believe that you could come into all of this. Again, bringing that now back to the the Tesla, storable energy, batteries, and then the nuclear cold fusion. We've got zero-point energy, free energy. I mean, people are are, have an issue with over-unity energy where a machine can generate more energy than, uh, than than it consumes. And actually, it's, it's not really that far off. I mean, it, it, you would say, oh, it violates Einstein's theory of relativity and all that. But, or uh, it's the other one. That Einstein he, sold out, though. That, I mean, he did. Yeah, the, he did. it's a conservation of energy. And um, so, but, it, but think of it like Tesla was saying. He was saying something like, and I mean Nikola Tesla, not Tesla Motors. But he was saying something that was kind of more popular in the 1800s about this ether, this uh, inexhaustible source of energy and that if we could tap into that if you could create a device that used you know a couple of volts and it was able to spin around and then pull in or tap into that unlimited source of energy that's out there then you can have an over unity machine you can have something that produces 800 percent energy and only consuming a little bit um and so, actually, there was this one guy who was, um, he's in Georgia. He actually produced something like this by using frequency and uh, a certain frequency inside of a water hammer. He's now in um, Gitmo, but he was actually <laughs> in Georgia. He so actually sold happened. this device to the local fire department. But what it, what it was was a barrel uh, with a cylinder inside, and the cylinder had these holes drilled at a certain angle, and a certain distance apart. And then when he put just a little bit of energy to spin that drum inside the the barrel and pumped water in there, he created a a water hammer. So water would go in to the holes, and with the centrifugal force would get hammered out, and he could actually create instant steam just with the littlest bit of turning that drum at the right frequency. And so he created instant hot water. Well, that's... From the heat standpoint, the amount of heat that he was generating with the amount of electricity he was actually using to get it was like 800%. So huge. And this is just, you know, it's it's hot water. It's nothing huge as far as like nuclear, you know, cold fusion. But that could change your your household bill. Big time, yeah. $700 a month right there. You know, heating water is one of the big... Yeah. Big ones. So information storage, um, that's that's going through the roof. I mean, 
our guy Corey in the back just got a little thumb drive that's a terabyte, if you can believe that, on a little thumb drive. Um, we've got artificial intelligence right around the corner. They say the smartest um, AI is the as smart as a four-year-old. That's crazy. I've got uh, something similar in my pocket. I've got Siri, the personal assistant. Um, she can do quite a bit already, but they got OK Google. They've got Microsoft's Cortana. Um, Google is working on this big time. They're, they're gobbling up everything. They've got AI companies. They've got robotics companies. They bought up Boston Dynamics, which was like a DARPA project thing. And now they've got these humanoid robot things that can walk on any terrain. They've got a cheetah that can run 60 miles an hour. They've, I mean, it's insane. Right? That's the kind of zoo that I want to go to. <laughs> I went, went to the zoo with my kids the other week, and I was just like, this is so boring. Now, get me to a zoo where they've got a, a robotic cheetah running 60 miles. Now, that's the kind of zoo I want to go to. We've got uh, speech synthesis, right? So Siri is, uh, there's a documentary out there about the lady who did the voice for Siri. They capture all these little bits of her, um, the syllables that she uses, and they are able to put them together properly to make words, any word based on the text that's, that's um, available. Wow. So you take that, you combine it with what Microsoft has done with Skype. They've taken speech recognition, and Siri has that too, but they've taken speech recognition, pumped it through a translator like Babylon.com or whatever, or uh, Babylon.com, or Google Translate. They translate it from English to whatever, and then do speech synthesis, to real in real time, you can do this today. Right now, you can go get Skype, download it, and you can speak to somebody in Germany by speaking English. It will translate it and speak it to them in German. Wow! And back and forth. And people are doing tongues. business that way these days. Right. Look at that. It's amazing. <laughs> there are some translation issues, but they're working that out. And uh, but it's pretty good. Yeah. It's pretty good. And uh, it gets better all the time, like with Siri, with Google, with all these things. They have algorithms that are constantly crunching and constantly searching the web. And um, Google has a thing that, that checks out images, right? And now, that, now it can identify objects, not just faces now, but it can actually identify multiple objects within the image. Oh, that's a candlestick. That's a computer. That's a tree. And it can label them. So that's built right in. That's AI right there. Put that into video. Put that into the 360 3D video that's now available on YouTube. It's VR, right? Now we're getting into virtual reality. Yeah. We're getting right. into the matrix, right? One way or another, we're going into a new existence, whether it's the bad guys that obtain transhumanism, which they have a goal of 2045 of getting us to immortality yeah, 20, without 40, Yahweh. Yeah, 2045. Question in the back there. <laughs> the reality is is that these things are really innocuous they don't they don't have any evil or um, good nature to them they're just technology it's men who decide to do evil or good with it so it's just like money. It's not money that's evil. It's the love of money that's the root of all evil. So um, I think, in my personal opinion, the Internet was invented by the devil. And I'm a web developer, so I should tell you something. <laughs> but I, I, really, I really do think that things like Facebook, they, they manufacture f uh, fake uh, relationships with people. 
Um, you feel like you're getting attention. You feel like you've got communication with people, but really it's about face-to-face, right? Pranayim, pranayim. Mm-hmm. So I have my opinions, but that doesn't. What about the fact that I've heard so often that so much of this knowledge has, has been um, uh, channeled from the evil spirit to give us this sci-fi type of knowledge, uh, even as far back as Von, uh, what's his name, uh, Von Braun? Well, I think we, we certainly know from some uh, extra biblical texts like Enoch that the watchers uh, trained men in ways of warfare and makeup and all sorts of good stuff. Um, <laughs> I say that sarcastically, but um, but yeah, they they were uh, teaching us things that uh, we weren't supposed to know, and they were punished for it, and they they um, were bound for eternity in Tartarus, as we talked about before. Um, I don't know if these things have been channeled by evil spirits through, uh, through to humans. Um, I know that we've got all of this technology that is on the cusp of... He- the, the technology is going like this. It's parabolic, right? We're increasing in technology uh, in massive ways on all fronts, medical and everything. I'm um, trying to go over some of those here today um, yeah, because just... regardless of whether it's good or bad, if what we believe is false, this is, this is what's coming, right? And even if, um, if what, we, what we believe is true and it all comes to fruition here, then something has to be done with this stuff. And some of it is going to be good and some of it's going to be bad. And, but remember, there's still evil people on this earth. The devil's bound, but I think at the end of the story, the reason why Yeshua comes at the end of the millennium and gives us this opportunity with, with a prince and, and a restored kingdom and all that is to say you can't, you can't blame the devil anymore. You inherently have a sinful nature, and you've got to deal with that. You can't blame him anymore, and it's going to show you after a thousand years that you're still susceptible to corruption, that through your own devices you're going to try to obtain immortality, um, that's why I was talking about transhumanism is we're on the cusp of some major things that we need to be aware of that I believe are going to be running in parallel to this millennial kingdom. So we'll be here and we'll be doing our thing in, in, in the greater Israel, but there's going to be people not coming up, coming up for Sukkot and they're going to be cloning human beings and they're going to be creating virtual reality environments and people are going to be plugging in and so there's going to be believers that are going to fall for that trap and then they're going to get plugged into some matrix type of thing. We're on the cusp of real matrix type stuff here. 2045.com will tell you they are proud to say we're on the cusp of being able to transfer your consciousness into a computer and you can live forever without Yahweh. That's scary. Really scary. Um, what we're going to do questions. is we're going to... Um, do we have some more to go through so then we can answer we can, some questions? We can hit we... all of these as we go or whatever. Okay. I mean, we're just okay. talking about yeah. 
some crazy stuff that's on the cusp yeah. here. question is, how do I see the transition happening to the new government? Um, I don't know the details. Well, there has to be, yeah. first of all, I, I believe that what we're seeing right now in Syria and Iran is, 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 is key to that, because then you trace that back, and, um, and, and, you, and you look at that as basically, can we sustain as, as a culture... Uh, globally, can we sustain the, the way that we are dealing with each other's nations right now? Can, is it sustainable? It's not. With the technology and the nuclear technology and that the other nations that don't want to play ball with the financial global systems, like Gaddafi, like um, 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 Assad in Syria, the only way that the globalists deal with them is by crushing them. But if they, if they raise up um, and it, it comes to this catastrophic level, which I believe that we're coming into. I, be, I think that that is what brings us into this area of people awakening and saying, wow, we, we need to take a look at um, who's in charge. Question? question was, when do you believe that the wedding feast of the Lamb is? After or before? It's a good question. I think it happens after. I think, yeah, I think it happens after. I think that the entire concept of Yeshua coming before the millennium and, and, and having a real uh, physical relationship where we get to interact with him um, during the millennium is false. I don't believe that is true. But when it does say that we reign with him for a thousand years, I believe that that is true in that, in that same sense that when two or three are gathered in his name, he's present, right? But we don't see him physically here, but he's here in spirit. And I think that he is like that we see in Ezekiel 37. That his spirit is poured out on us, and we get to actually uh, move and work in that in this, in this kingdom. Let's so, talk about these avatars and um, robotics that they're developing right now. So, <laughs> Boston Dynamics has got this robot, humanoid robot, and uh, they've got um, dogs and cheetahs and stuff. And, and so, with, with this transhumanist agenda, they are trying to build us physical avatars that you can just literally get into. There's some movies out there that are just showing you they're, they're in-game. And uh, I think one with Bruce Willis, uh, where they, they have... They kind of plug into these things, and then they can remote these robots, and the robots go do the work. What about the 3D printing? I mean, we know that there was some – that was in the, the news a couple of years ago. They're, they're, doing it, they're doing all – they're printing food. Print, they have a giant 3D printer that's printing houses. I mean, it's getting crazy. So you're going to be able to print electronics. You're going to be able to – everybody's going to be able to print anything. That's, that's akin to Star Trek's, uh, you know, food – Processor thing that it you know gives you food right there. Boom, you're done. Wow. We got a question over here. Two weeks ago, I posted the question. Um, I think it, it can apply to what's going on. Is why do we even need Jesus anymore? Why do we even need Yeshua anymore? 
excited or moving and becoming desensitized because of technology, because they're they're learning how to develop these things on their own and knowledge, kind of like what the gentleman over there was saying, the good and evil knowledge. That knowledge is consistently increasing, 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 and I think there's a lack of wisdom that comes along with that. So we don't know what to do with it, and we're destroying ourselves with that, and we're destroying our relationship with the Father because of it. So what ends up happening is people are going, "Why do we even need religion?" Can you repeat, just um, surmise that? Just why, yeah. Why do we need Yeshua? Why do we need religion with all this technology? And that, the, it's a great question because it, it ties into the transhumanist agenda in which they are trying to achieve immortality without Yahweh, without Yahweh through technology. And if you go to uh, 2045.com again, watch their video and see that they are, are trying to achieve this by 2045, and then they say they'll work on spiritual stuff. Mm-hmm. Then they'll take care of the spiritual matters. And, and we know uh, from our scriptures that the end of this world is coming. You're not going to have immortality through transferring your consciousness or a, a, a similar thing to, as I don't think you can, but I, I don't think they can even achieve that kind of thing because we're talking about the soul and we know what the soul is made of. So I don't think they're going to achieve those things, but their goal is to obtain immortality one way or another through technology without Yeshua, without Yahweh. So you, you cannot disconnect yourself from the life-giving source. But so. if we're talking about this literal physical millennium where you're in physical bodies, not this spiritual um, idea that we've, um, we've heard so often times, it would take a righteous government of believers in Yeshua who know that the ultimate, ultimate revelation is that you have to exchange garments because no matter what technology, what diet, no matter how long you can live, if you are corrupted in your heart, corrupted and unregenerate, that it's all for nothing. But if you can have a government, a government that understands that Yeshua is all and all and that you must be restored from your heart, from the inside out, and then you use this technology, you can see how the millennium could really play out. But it is ultimately about the government of Yahweh upon this earth and even with that, after a thousand years, you are praying and begging that Yeshua would come back because man is corrupt at nature. He's going to, even with a, a righteous government, without Yeshua there, he's ultimately going to be eating from the tree of knowledge and good and, of good and evil with that technology. But it could sustain for a thousand years, I believe that. Um, I, I think that, uh, again, these are great conversations to have in the back there. Iron and clay will not mix. Let's look at the new heaven and new earth. Wow, do we want to get into that? Yes. It's already 6.30. Go long and go strong. Golly. Revelation 21, verse 1 and 2, it says, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. 
For the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, Yochanan, John, saw the Kadosh holy city, a new Yerushalayim, coming down from Yahweh out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. So, I guess in, in Revelation twenty one sixteen, um, it says, "And the city lies four square, and the length is as large as its breadth, and measures the city with." Uh, and he measured the city with the reed twelve thousand furlongs, the length and breadth of the, and the height of it are equal. A lot of people think it's a cube. I I, I think it's a pyramid. I know there's debate over that. Um, but there's no, a, I, I think it's a pyramid too. And then you look at all of the pyramid. Again, you look at truth and perversion. You look at these pyramidal structures. You look on the back of obviously of, of the of the currency. You look at the the new world order. You go to the to um, uh, the Louvre in Paris. And you see all of this mystical design of pyramid shapes all over. But what is the truth of that? The truth is that Yahweh is bringing in that new kingdom, that new Jerusalem. Yeah, I think there there's truth that's hidden in in these things, and I and I think that when it says in Psalm one eighteen, the stone which the builders refuse has become the headstone of the cor- corner. That's what it says in the King James. That um, it's referring to that he is that 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 capstone or cornerstone, but he's he's coming from above, and so if he's coming from above, his his idea of a pyramid is a little bit different than, than ours, right? Ours always seem to be in our world, uh, one guy at the top and and all the guys getting crushed down below, right? And with Yeshua, his is going to be upside down from our perspective because really we're upside down. We're upside down. And his his is a, more of a servant leadership role, right, where he is at the bottom and on him rests everything. So all the weight of everything at the that the base of the pyramid rests on him, and he serves all them. That's actually the true measure of a king is actually a servant to all of his people, and he's the greatest example of that. So I think that's why the pyramid is uh, the shape. I think it's, it's, a, it's a copycat. Um, Which is exactly what Isaiah says, that everything is going to be upon his shoulders. And that's ultimately that pyramid system that we can't even sustain. Yet you see that in um, some of this New World Order art that they, they're banging up everywhere. You know, They bang up this art that costs your taxpayers hundreds of thousands of dollars. And you're like, what is that? And it's like a lump of metal somebody drug out of the trash. You know? And you, you start to see these. I mean, really, it's all over the place. You know? And you know you pay. That was, came out of your taxes. And you're like, you're, 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 you're trying to survive each and every month and boom, bang, they bang up some new sculptor and you're like, well, how much did that cost, you know? I love the solar trash compactors. You know, you take your children to the park and you're like, $60,000 there so I can throw away my trash. I mean, really, who paid for that? And where are all of these places? I love it downtown. You know, if you're, if you're, in, the, if you're in the rough neighborhoods, you've got to try and cross the street across some old derelict um, crosswalk. But if you're downtown by the state buildings, oh no, you've got brand new crosswalks with solar power, lights and everything to protect them crossing. But it's never in the, the impoverished neighborhoods. You see, so who are these people serving? Because you won't go into the impoverished neighborhoods and find um, marble buildings. 
but you will where, 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 where the government workers work. So they really are serving themselves. Go into an impoverished neighborhood and see if you can find a, an electric plug-in for your car. Well, no, because you can't afford those cars, but they're all down by the government workers. And I don't mean to be anti-government, but I'm pro the government of Yeshua because this has become so corrupted, so insane that it makes me sick. It truly does, to be, just to see it and to see it, and yet to, to speak to the people as if you were just like these little slaves and little servants. You know, it's, it really is a topsy-turvy world. Revelation 21.3, and I heard a great voice out of the Shamaim saying, Behold, the sukkah, the tabernacle of Yahweh is with man, and he will dwell with them, and he shall be, and they shall be his people. And Yahweh himself, he's going to be with them, and he's going to be their Elohim. That's a picture of the new earth. I mean, we know that's when he is with us is when the new earth and the new Jerusalem are, are here. And it says in 21.4, Revelation 21.4, And he shall wipe away all tears from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow, no crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And I believe that everything that we see in this 7,000-year plan is just a shadow picture to, to tell us something about that next Time. We don't really know much about the new heaven and new earth. We only get the shadow pictures that are painted for us today. So I think it actually is twofold. I think you've got the 6,000-year picture, which, is a sh- which has some shadow pictures of the millennium. And then the millennium is, again, a shadow picture, an imperfect picture of the new heaven, new earth. So we get to see it, again, a ta- we get to actually see through the gospel and through the working of our works in Yeshua, we get to see... The taste of the kingdom through feeding the hungry and, and so on, but then in the kingdom, there actually is going to be a kingdom where there's just there's not going to have poverty issues and um, maybe that's a stretch, but there's not going to be a whole lot of um, uh, suffering going on there as much as the the rest of the world. And again, then there's going to be the obliteration of all of that, and then we get to see the new heaven, new earth, where none of that is the case. We have no issues, no homeless. No poor, no hungry, no fatherless, no sick, etc. So, do you have any questions, any comments? Uh, I think we'll call that uh, good for today, and we'll we'll, we'll close up with um, some some questions. Yeah. So the question was about the animal sacrifices in the millennial kingdom. Well, um, I'm going to really be um, getting into that in a a whole lot deeper during Sukkot. So I think we'll address that in the Sukkot message just for time because it is a very, very in-depth subject. And there's some definitely some different um, perspectives on that. Um, But um, I think just for um, for us, for time's sake... I'll address that um, from my perspective using the scripture in um, um, during Sukkot. Any other questions? Yeah. I don't know if this is more of a comment, but that this is a paradigm shift for all of us that the things that you're bringing up, because here I've been brought into this block and I've thought that, well, we're getting ready for a thousand years of the king reign on earth. It's kind of blowing my mind, and it, it's being willing once again to open hand it and, and put it back to have those things be challenged, and I'm willing to do 
do that. And I, I, I love that you're bringing this, but it also sets up an awareness of what you're talking about with the, tech, the technology is where evil men are going to take it, and just where the holy, the called out ones that want to take it, sets up a perfect anti-Messiah uh, towards the end as well. So, I mean, you're kind of, you're rocking my world, but I, but I love every minute of it. So can you just address that just for the internet audience so they can hear the audio? Of what that statement was. Yeah, so I think, I think what you're saying is, is actually the same place that I am. I, you know, I could be totally wrong about all of this, um, but the idea here is that we're not getting dogmatic, that we're actually uh, open to looking at it in a different way, uh, looking at all this stuff differently. This is, this is what I'm seeing as the picture painted when I look at all of the scriptures together. And, um, you know, there might be some scriptures that we get hung up on, you know, and I'm, and I'm okay with that. And I'm okay to reexamine everything that I've shared today and, and recant it tomorrow if, if we can have a, a discussion about it and, and whatnot. Um, but I think to camp on, you know, one, one verse or two verses um, in light of the big picture, I think, uh, is a mistake. And, I, and I'm hoping that I'm just, at the very least giving people another uh, option to consider and then uh, my real admonishment in light of this teaching in light of um, what's being brought forth here is to go back to our first charge that Yahweh gave us and that we are to be active he said that mankind was given dominion that we are to go forth unless you don't believe that that But that's what Yahweh said, that he put us here so that we would have dominion. Not that we would abdicate responsibility, let these tyrants rule over us so that we could get on this rapture train. Because the Christian, mainstream Christian dogma over the past 150 years has really done an injustice, an injustice to humanity. Because you know those that hate Yahweh, they are working day and night to usher in Satan's kingdom. And if Yahweh's people were doing their due diligence and was doing what Yahweh told humanity, his creatures, his creation, that we would have dominion over this planet. And if we were working towards that in the light and anointing through his Holy Spirit, under the power of the resurrected Yeshua, we would have a different outcome today than what we do And I hope that people will use this and say, no, we're not escaping into some mystical, spiritual world that this is it. We've got to get to work. We've got to pull together. We've got to love Yahweh. We've got to keep his commandments and we've got to be a light to the nations. Stop abdicating responsibility, being a wet noodle and wasting your days doing things that people in the world are serving up before you. It's insanity. How will you spend your life today you, you, I think as you a believer? It. I think you nailed it because basically we, what we've done is we've, we've taken the rapture scenario and we've just exchanged it for another scenario that's very similar. It's escapism of some kind. Oh, yeah. And, I, and I'm trying to present a view that what if you've got to go through the fire? What if you've got to go through the whole thing? And there is no escaping. And then, the, and then we all see judgment at the same time. That, that seems just to me. Yes. So I, I think you nailed it. I think we, we, we need to be called to action here and to not just be thinking that tomorrow we could be taken away. Uh, you know, I would investigate those scriptures that even suggest that he could come any moment. I think it's painting a picture that we know 
a time period in which he comes. We don't know the exact moment, but we know, I think, a season and even a, a millennium away season. So if yeah. you had to think about your life today like that, would it change how you acted today if you didn't think you were going to get resurrected tomorrow or that he was going to come tomorrow? Would it change what you do today? Which is different. I mean, sometimes we say, well, he's coming tomorrow, so we got to get busy. And I'm saying, well, we become complacent in that. And so maybe if we can change up our thought about that, we can get busy. Do we have any questions online? Yes, we do. Yeah. The question is Revelation chapter 20 and SA 10 being released after the thousand years and how does that work out? Well, that would be, I believe, the tribulation. So therefore you have the great tribulation when SA 10 is released, which is that paradigm shift again of, and I believe that you have two tribulations, just like Yaakov, two troubles if you were, a lesser trouble and a greater trouble. And you see that with Jacob's life. You have, I believe there's going to be a trouble, a tribulation ushering us into this real world phenomenon of the millennium and then after S.A. Tan's release at the end of the thousand years you have the great tribulation but that that's how I read it in scripture I, I would agree with that and I would say that you're going to see David and his descendants on the throne for a thousand years right prince after prince or king after king all sitting on the throne right or, or maybe their president or, or prime minister or whatever but that you're going to have David, of the tribe of Judah, in this place that's prophesied and all of that, and he's going to be the bad guy. He's going to end up, the last one will be the corrupt mm-hmm. one. I think that's that's what's going to happen. And you're going to see him standing in the place, and it, I mean, it's going to be really difficult to discern what's going on. Yeah. Because the devil's going to come back, and he's going to play tricks on, on those that... Uh, you know, have always relied basically on their own self righteousness. So. Another question? Yeah, we had uh, the one says, uh, kind of restating what you're saying. Sorry, but this thousand years sounds more like the same as what we have. We are in our physical bodies, and evil people are still among us. That's right, yeah. Evil people are still among us, and uh, uh, we're in these same bodies. It's very similar today, but there's some big game changers, right? There's, there's no more devil. Right to be influencing world powers, he's put away. So that's a big game changer. I don't think people realize how big of a game changer that is, how much effect that has on our uh, cultures today. And Yahweh's theocracy, Yahweh's rulership, Yahweh's fame, his name is renowned amongst the nations, so much yes. so that if you're not celebrating the Feast of Yahweh, then they will flip the, the technological switch with all of that new technology and um, there won't be rain in your part of the globe. Yeah. Chemtrails on steroids. <laughs> well, I tell you. What a wild world we live in. We thank you, Yahweh, for your word, Abba. And most of all, Abba Yahweh, we thank you for your son and the impartation of the Ruach HaKodesh. Abba, as we examine and we question and we seek, Abba, we ask, Abba, that you would lead us and that you would guide us. We thank you, Abba, for bringing us to a place in our lives where we can talk about your scriptures, Abba, in enlightening, encouraging 
ways, Father, that so many years ago, Father, it used to be so dogmatic. And Abba, I praise you, Abba, for the knowingness and the security that we have in your son, Yeshua. And I pray, Abba, your blessings upon all the people and the whole house of Israel. And everybody said, Amen, Amen.